morning, I'm going to begin in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Now Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing, child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Verse 7, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah to the way of Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, ox, and fatlings, and lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the... So we go to uh, verse 12. Now when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Indeed, Saul went up to Carmel, and he is setting up a monument for himself, and he has gone on, gone on all around and passed by and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. So what we've read so far, you can see there's something something that sticks up like a sore thumb, is that he's going, he builds a monument for himself. So you can see that there's something wrong right from the beginning. That... He's become king and he has this victory and, and now he's setting up a this uh, tribute to himself. And when he sees Samuel, he says, Hey, you know, I did what you told the, the commandment of the Lord. Verse 14. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the loving of the ox which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the ox to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And you begin to see in what he's saying, you begin to see other things stick out. You notice he said, they saved the best, but we destroyed the rest. <laughs> and he's kind of like with, uh, when Adam was confronted in the Garden of Eden, you know? You know, if you've eaten this fruit, well, that woman you gave me, you know? You, put, you know, he begins to put the blame, try to mix the blame somewhere else and try to take the spotlight off of him. <clears throat> and Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. And so Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? 
Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop, swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone in the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of the Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and ox, and the best of the things which should have been destroyed to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. What you hear here is a lot of human reasoning that went into play to come about to not do exactly what God told them to do. And in this we see religion. We see the carnal mind at work here. Because, you know, they saw those sheep and they saw all the oxen and everything. They saw the really good ones. They said, man, look at them. So we'll keep them and we'll sacrifice them to the Lord. And they made all these uh, compromises about why they didn't have to do exactly everything that God told them to do. They could just sort of do everything that God told them to do. And you can hear it as soon as Samuel comes to Saul. Saul says it right away. He says, Blessed are you of the Lord. I performed the commandment of the Lord. I did it. And then when Samuel rebukes him, he says, He says, Why did you take the spoil? He says, Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And I went out in the mission the Lord sent me. He says, I just brought the king back alive. Do you know why they do that? It's like a trophy. When you you know, we talked about that last couple weeks ago. We were talking about King Manasseh, how he was brought with hooks in his nose from Judah to Babylon. Uh, you know, uh, when a king overtakes another king, it's part of they they humiliate the other king. That's part of what they do. You know, it's, it's their trophy. That's why I brought him back. He says, we brought all this other stuff back because it was so good, we know we're supposed to get rid of it all, but we as Christians have got to hear this reasoning because, you know, there's some things that Jesus tells us that don't appeal at all to our human nature. Love your enemies. Do good to those who do evil to you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. That is not something we want to do in our human nature. If someone does evil to us, well, we want to have a. Or we naturally want to, you know, give it right back. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's the Old Testament. The New Covenant has. Jesus brought new teachings with the New Covenant. And as it says in the book of Jeremiah, the New Covenant would not be like the Old One that Moses gave to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. And so, again, Samuel rebukes him. And he says, so Samuel says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed more than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. 
because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Verse 24, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed against the command of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now please, therefore, pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Now at first it seems sincere what Saul is saying. He's honest. He says, I fear the voice of the people. He says, I was seeking the praise of men. You know, I want to do them a favor, you know. I was carnally minded. And so he said, now forgive me and come back with me to worship the Lord. In verse 26, but Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you for being king over Samuel, over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore. And so Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent, or some say repent. Verse 30, then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. You can hear the motivations of Saul in what he's saying here. God told him, I've rejected you as king. You know, you're not going to be king over Israel. You know, the the uh, what he, the kingdom has been of Israel has been torn away from you today, and given it to your neighbor. Of course, eventually we know it's David. And he says, "I sin, but you know, come back and honor me before the people." You see the fear of man, the praise of man. There was carnal motivations that were manipulating and motivating Saul. And God knew it. And so, Samuel went back with him and honored him before the people. But God saw that there was something else going on with him. We see that when God, and we read this a few weeks ago, in chapter 16, the next chapter, we see that when God sent Samuel to the sons of Jesse to pick a king, which eventually was David, we see that Samuel saw the first one. In verse 6 of chapter 16, he says, So it was when they came and they looked at Eliab, and he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so this is the God God doesn't see the way man sees. He looks deeper than just man's actions. He looks beyond them. Now, some would look at what King Saul did and said, Boy, you know, God was really hard on Saul. I mean, he did almost everything, ninety nine percent of what he was told to do. This is only a little bit, you know. He didn't kill the king and he didn't kill all the animals. He just kept the best ones for sacrificing. Why was God so hard on him? 
And many of the people, if they would have known about it, would have thought the same thing. Man, we went out and did all that, and, you know, and, you know, we're just a little, you know. But God was looking on the heart of Saul. And we see that from this point forward, Saul's life goes down. It goes downhill from here. An evil spirit comes upon him. He becomes a murderous man. He becomes a corrupt man from here. This was the crossroads for Saul. He went the wrong way. And then we see another man, the man who was after his own heart, David. He becomes king. And we go to First uh, Chronicles chapter 13, and there's an incident there too. First Chronicles chapter 13. Beginning in verse 1. Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brothers everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel, with them to the priests and Levites who are in the, their cities and common lands, that they may gather together to us, and let us bring the ark of, the, of our God back to us. For we have not inquired of it since the days of Saul. And all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. <coughs> so David gathered all of them together. In verse 6, And David said, David and all of Israel went up to Bela, to Kirat-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, who dwells between the cherubim where his name is proclaimed. And so they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uz and Ahio drove the cart. And then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. And when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark for the ox stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put out his hand to the ark. And he died there before God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore that place is called Perez, Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How can I bring the ark of God to me? So he had not moved the ark with him into the city of David, but took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. In this story, we hear about how all of Israel said, Yes, let's bring the ark up. They had just had a feast before before we started reading this passage. And at the feast, this is when David said this, hey, let's go get the ark. It should be in the city of, you know, in Jerusalem. It should be in our city, you know. The city of God, you know, and the city of David. Let's go get it bring it here where it belongs. And everybody said, he consulted with everybody, he said, yeah, it's the right thing, let's go do it. And so they did it. And so there's this incident that happens. One of the oxen was in an ox-drawn cart, and the ox stumbles, and the cart starts slipping off. And this one of the guys, Yuza, he reaches out his hand to stop the ark from falling off the cart. What could be wrong with that? 
God breaks out and kills him. And now David is angry. It doesn't say it here, but it's obvious he's angry with God. Sometimes, we as Christians fall into this place. Get angry with God. We don't understand God all the time. Why did God do this? He gets angry. He says, oh, we're not going to bring this to the city, you know. Stick it over here. We're not going to bring it to the city. How can God come here or the city? Why does this happen? David doesn't understand. And he's upset with God. Because after all, one of his men, all he's doing is prevent it from falling off. It says God's anger was aroused against Yusa. He struck him dead. Why would God do such a thing? That's what's going through David's mind. <clears throat> so we go to chapter 15. Verse 1, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. And verse 2, And he said, No one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and minister before him forever. Verse 12, And he said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I prepared it for you. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult Him about the proper order. They just grabbed and threw it on a cart. Hey, look at, see what God says. This is how... You conduct yourself with the ark. They didn't look into the Word of God. They didn't consult with the Lord. They consulted with each other. They consulted with the priest, but no one looked at the, the Word of God. How should we do this? Now we know. It was, it was They didn't respect God in, in moving the ark. And so he says, this is why it happened. David said, he came to realize that they, they said, well, well, how did this happen? why did this happen? And they went to the Word of God. So, ah, this is why it happened. We didn't respect God and his what he said about his ark. We read about an incident that happened when the Philistines took the ark of God and every city went in and it brought all these plagues. So finally they sent it back to Israel. And the city that it went back to, they looked into the ark. It killed a whole bunch of people because they looked into the ark of God. So we see a holy God that must be feared in this situation. And they didn't look to the Word of God. And neither did the priest or David or anyone. And this catastrophe came upon them. And they, they weren't angry with God anymore. They saw this is why this happened. It was our fault. It wasn't God's fault. God wasn't wrong. We were. In, chapter, in, the, in the same chapter, in verse 14, So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles, as Moses has commanded, had commanded, according to the word of the Lord. What is it supposed to be put in a cart with an ox? It's supposed to be carried by the Levites on poles, as the, Moses had instructed how they carried across the Jordan River with Joshua. 
So now we're confronted, as we go to the New Testament, we're confronted with this idea, with this command to follow the Lord with all of our hearts. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? And He said, the greatest commandment of all is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And He said the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, and this is all the all the, all the, all the law. And so we're told to love God with all of our heart, all our soul. We see that with David, that he was concerned about what happened and he went to the Word of God. And so as we go to the Word of God in the New Testament, we read a few things. In Matthew 13 in the parables, in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like Matthew 13:44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it again. There was no holding back. It was all. He was all. These, this man was all in. And that's what the kingdom of God, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like. It's an all-in prop or all-in proposition. When Jesus told this man that, he was a rich man, had many possessions. And he said, Oh yeah, I've loved God, I love my neighbor my whole life. I've done all my life. I've kept all the commandments. Jesus says, one more thing you gotta do. You gotta love the poor people a little more. You can sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. He says, Oh no, not that. Not that thing. And he walked away. He held he's holding back. And so that's the challenge to us. Are we all in in Christ? Or were there some areas of our life and our heart and our mind that we're holding back? That we have not let God in all areas of our life. That we're thus far no more. And we think of the words of Saul. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've done all this, all that, but yeah, there's a couple things over here. I did, but, you know. His heart was not right before God. And it caused him to backslide. And we can say, well, you know, I've done most of it right, so it's okay not to do everything right because I'm doing mostly everything right. There's an issue in the heart there. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, Jesus speaks on a similar thought. Luke, chapter 14.
14.25 Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, <laughs> brothers, and sisters, and yes, his own life, also cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. <clears throat> he says that we should hate family members. It is a, it's a message of comparison. And hate his own life. He tells us in our place to love our neighbor as ourselves. So he's, he's talking about it in comparison. One of the Ten Commandments is to love your mother, honor and love your mother and father. But he's talking about in comparison that God has to be first in our life. Jesus has to be first in our life. And that's where the problem is. The compromises. You see, King Saul, he loved his subjects more than God. He wanted to please them more than God. He wanted their honor more than God's honor. You see that with the Pharisees. They sought the honor of each other more than the honor that came from God. And so he gives this parable. He says in verse 28, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation, he is not able to finish. All who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. <clears throat> or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and has conditions of peace. So likewise, or in the same way, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, if you continue, he said to those who believed in him, to the Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word or abide in my word, remain in my word, you're my disciples for real. You're my real disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he who the Son sets free is free for real. Continue in the words of Christ. In the parable of the sower of the soil, Matthew 13, Jesus talked about those on the stony the seed that fell on the stony ground, the word of God that fell on the stony ground. He said they believe for a time, believe for a while. But in a time of testing and persecution, they did not continue. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. In Galatians chapter 5 it says, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its affections and desires. It's lust. The crucifixion of our life is our responsibility. Romans 8 says, if we by the Spirit put the death of these to the flesh, we will live. This is what this forsaking is all about. I think we can become content 
to uh, and be kind of have a retiring attitude about the words of Jesus. But it's not what Jesus intended. Jesus said, He who follows me will not be in darkness, but have the light of life. And as a writer once wrote, Thomas Akempis, he said, on that word of Jesus, he said, so let it be our, our chief endeavor to follow Jesus' life and His manners. Follow Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus said in John 14, If you love me, keep my commandments. And it brings about, again, what Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. It speaks of motivation. You see, the motivation of Saul was not right. But you see in David a different heart. You see in Caleb a different heart. You see in Joshua a different heart. You see in the men of God that continued in the Lord that they had a different heart. And when David was confronted by God, God, he, he searched, found out what was wrong. He didn't dismiss it. And so when we are told by Jesus that we must deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow after Him, in order to be his follower, be his disciple, follower of Christ. We understand the seriousness of it and the magnitude of it. Because we can have, we can do Christian things and like Saul did a lot of what God told him to do. We can do a lot of Christian acts Obey God in a lot of things. But then God's going to confront us. Like He did the Ephesian church. He said, you're doing a lot of things that are right. He said, you're really not tolerating false doctrine and false apostles. Doing a lot of Christian things. He says, I've got one thing against you. He says, you've left your first love. Who is our first love? Jesus said it. God. To love God with all... It's the first commandment. To love God with all of our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. To love our neighbor as ourself. So now we're confronted with life. With our human nature. We're to submit to authorities. We're to love people that don't love us. Even meanies, people that are mean to us, people of our own household, a mean boss, mean fellow workers, and those are extremes, but you know what I mean. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in life that we're confronted with. And so we're challenged to walk in the Spirit in those times. 
When it says to walk in the Spirit, Jesus told us our, the Holy Spirit be our leader, be our guide, be our teacher, be our helper, be our comforter. The other night in the men's meeting, we were reading in 2 Peter chapter 1 that everything we need in life and godliness is found in Christ. And that we are now partakers of the divine nature, the nature of God, the new man. He's put His Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit isn't a gas. God's Spirit is not something that is just this invisible, unliving thing. It's God, the third, per- the third person of the Trinity. Jesus said, whoever blasphemes against the Father and the Son will be forgiven, but blaspheming against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Not in this life or the life to come. Such, a, such an honor and respect for the Holy Spirit that Jesus put out. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should honor God in our bodies. He lives in us. God the Spirit lives in us. God is here with us. He's just not off in the wild blue yonder on the throne of God in heaven. He's here with us and as we gather together, He said He's two or three are gathered together in His name. He's here with us. And we should respect that as we come together in this, in this way. And church... The, the gathering together of the believers. But also, He's here in our hearts. He lives in our hearts. We are in Christ. If we're not in Christ, today's the day. Today is the day of salvation. Everything we need, the new man, the nature of God, He's given it to us to live this out. So that we can live in Him. We have been given a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. Forgive others. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Some people have hurt us really bad. To forgive them, it takes a supernatural power. It comes from God. The error is human, they say, but to forgive is divine. It's from God. And we've been partakers of the divine nature in Christ. And so we have the ability to forgive. We have the ability to love. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts and the Spirit He has given us. So what happens is, if all that is true, then we are not embracing these things at times, listening to the flesh, listening to the human nature, or listening to the enemy. Jesus told us, my sheep will listen to my voice, and other they will not follow not condemnation. Jesus' words are here to bring us conviction. Dave, I'm going to open up for you, brother, to start first. This one verse is coming to mind.